Socrates said, know the self. Do you really know exactly who you are? What are you passionate about? What do you truly value? Are you doing what you can or are you doing what you should? And what does it have to do with security leadership? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Security Leadership Podcast. My name is Jerome Levy. My day job is a CISO, and I'm a member of the security community for more than 10 years. With me here is my co-host Jeff Snyder, who is an executive coach and a security recruiter since 1997. Welcome, Jeff. Good morning. Jeff, in 2018, Harvard Business Review published an article with the title, How to Work for a Boss Who Lacks Self-Awareness. In that article, it was said that self-awareness is depressingly rare. For instance, psychological research suggests that there is less than 10% overlap between people's actual and perceived competence, mostly because people are not as adept as they think they are. And Jeff, you said you need to know who you are and precisely who you are not. Why is self-awareness so rare? I think it's very rare because we go through school, we go through various training, get started in a job, and nowhere along the way does anyone stop us and say, hey, why don't we figure out exactly who you are, get you pointed in the right direction, and then go get all those qualifications and credentials and so on. Um, we just somehow land in a, a path and we start going after all the credentials and all the, the proof in that path that we're really good at that path when Quite frankly, sometimes people are on the wrong path altogether. How can they be on the wrong path if they're doing something and they're pretty good at it? Well, if someone's, uh, someone values good, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. Some people value excellent or great. And if that person isn't living up to their potential... Uh, it's usually because they don't know what their potential is. So I guess the question should be, hey, not what profession should I choose because it's a good career or a good job. It's more, what should I choose that I can be great at, right? I wish I could have had that guidance when I was just getting out of college or quite frankly, even before I went to college. Uh, I went to college because that's what I was supposed to do. Uh, I got a degree because that's what I was supposed to do. And when I got out of college, um, I didn't know exactly where which direction to go. So the earlier in life someone can figure this out, the better. Ab yeah, absolutely. Which I think that's true for most of us, if not all of us. Which brings us to, to our next point, which is interesting, because almost everyone seems to be on this endless search about who they are and, you know, what do they want, what do they want when they're going to grow up and, 
and yet they don't know and, and they feel lost. What is worse is that many people spend their entire life either pretending or trying really hard to be something they're not. So fake it until you make it? You know what? I just got off the phone with a gentleman who is, is at a crossroads in his career. And I asked him, um, have you ever tried to be someone else's boss? And he said, yeah, and I'm terrible at it. Okay, let me ask you another question. How many bosses have you had that were great? And define that for me. Well, his definition of great would be someone who took the time to get to know him, someone that took the time to want to help him grow, someone that actually helped mentor him. I said, well, that's a great definition. How many bosses like that have you had? And the answer was, I've only had one. So I would argue with you that the people who are faking it until they're, they're, they make it, uh, they're just doing damage to themselves and other people if they're in charge of other people. And they're not supposed to be. Which goes back perhaps to the article from Harvard Business Review about lack of self-awareness, that it's only about 10% of people who really has it. So a common practice for many organizations and teams is to conduct what they call the yearly performance review. And I know some organizations conduct that more than once a year. And quite frankly, I don't know anybody who likes this process. Most employees dread it and feel it's often unfair. And especially when the organization uses a bell curve distribution for rating and they force you into that, in that bell curve. Managers hate it because it's very time-consuming, and they often feel that fighting for your top performers on the bell curve is more like horse trading, and it's more political than anything else. And then, almost always, you need to talk with a team member about, quote-unquote, something they need to improve on. So, for example, if somebody is an introvert and their manager doesn't like it, there is no way they can improve and become an extrovert. This is not how they're wired. Jeff, what are we doing wrong? What's going wrong is we're not stopping to figure out how people are uniquely wired in the first place. That should be the very, very first step. So some people are gifted to be an introvert. Some people are gifted to stand on a stage. Uh, I have a friend who not only is he gifted to stand on a stage, but he's actually the president of his local Toastmasters chapter. He's gifted to influence other people. He's also 53 years old. Um, he instinctively figured out, oh, I like to, to talk. I like to stand on a stage and make people laugh. But what would have happened if he could have discovered that when he was 20 years old? and spent the last 30 years getting better and better and better and better, it wouldn't be a matter of what he needs to improve on. It's a matter of how are you doing at maximizing and polishing those things that you're already gifted to be great at. So how do you go about discovering 
these things that you are gifted at? Well, I didn't discover anything until I sat down and specifically took a Clifton Strengths assessment. Uh, I did this almost a decade ago, and it sat in a drawer after I took it. I read it, I looked at the results, and I thought, okay, that's good. Check that box. I, I took the assessment. Uh, nothing changed in my life until a year later. A friend of mine came along and he said, Hey, have you ever taken a Clifton Strengths assessment? The answer was yes. I pulled it out of the drawer, slid it across the table. Bert looked at it for about 10 seconds, his eyeballs raised, and he said, Do you have any idea what you're sitting on? And I leaned across the table and I said, no, do you? And for the next six hours, we, we walked through what it is that I'm sitting on. It took someone else who knew what was going on with that data to make heads or tails out of it for me. Wow. So your friend in six hours revealed to you something that you didn't know for your entire life almost? Well, he scratched the surface. Um, no, not in six hours. In six hours, he got me pretty darn excited about what he was excited about. It took that long just, just to get me to the point where I was inspired by, by what he saw. Uh, I mentored under Bert for 12 months. That was uh, Monday through Friday coaching calls where Bert was the master and I was the dummy on mute. What have you discovered? What are those Clifton strengths that Bert showed you? Well, do you want me to talk about my own or should we maybe talk about yours? Either way. Let's talk about yours. I, I, I know mine. I think it would be kind of fun for other people to learn what kind of a guy gets on uh, or, get, or gets in front of a, a microphone and does a podcast. So let me throw that one back to you. When you and I got together, how did that conversation progress? Well, I've been searching for a while. Some thoughts about, okay, what's next for me? Or am I doing the right thing? Or am I set up, you know, for success or whatnot? Because part of me felt that, yeah, I've been very successful, but did I maximize myself? Can I do more? Can I do better? Should I do something different? And the first conversation you and I had, you asked me if I took the Clifton Strength Assessment, and I did. And, you know, I got a list of 34 different traits which look like a little DNA chart. And I look at those terms and look at those names. Yeah, they seem interesting, but it didn't really mean anything to me. So that's why I came and asked you, like, can you help me decipher or interpret what they really mean? So what did you see? Oh, my goodness. Um, I saw a guy who absolutely positively couldn't light up a room. And what I mean by that is, specifically, you have communication high, uh, you have positivity high, 
you have maximizer relatively high. That's my kind of person that I want to hang out with. Well, thank you. Well, you're welcome. So how how does trade specifically, how they can help me or help you know other people when, when they get their report and when they see their their trades, how does that help us understand what we should do versus what we can do? Well, all I can do is tell you what my experience was, and I, I think I can go ahead and repeat what you just said. When you take any kind of assessment, there's a certain amount of information that you can glean from the reports that come out of that assessment. Um, little did I know that I was sitting on traits that, in many cases, hardly anybody else has. That's what Bert understood that I did not yet understand. And just by reading the data, I couldn't come to that conclusion. Well, what does it mean that I'm sitting on traits that other people don't have? Well, I happen to have something very, very high called maximizer. You've heard it, uh, whoever's listening has heard it many times in this particular discussion. And to me, my maximizer means that it's in my DNA, not just to take good to great. That's a good starting point. I discovered that I have a passion for excellence, excellence in my own behavior, excellence in my own results, excellence in my photography, excellence in my, my sporting events, excellence in scoring goals in hockey, and so on. But I also discovered that it's not just about what I find excellence in. I also find excellence in connecting with exactly the right kinds of friends and relationships. Now it's my job to take my passion for excellence and inspire other people from a relational standpoint. Is that is what it's about? Is it just showing you who you are or does it give you more than that? Oh, well, I just gave you one trait, right? See, you have a, you have a way of pushing this back to me. So I didn't know that I'm visionary. I didn't know that I was highly strategic. Those two traits, for example, cannot be taught. Someone either has them or they don't have them. Well, knowing that I have those things didn't do me a darn bit of good. But once I developed those traits, now I can turn my maximizer onto those traits and make them excellent. I can take my activator. Activator is a built-in go button that hardly anybody has. And I find that the greatest use for my go button is to lend it out to other people who don't have a go button. It's approximately 11% of people who have a go button in their top five traits out of 34. So there's all kinds of things that with the guidance of somebody who knew more than I knew, uh, that I learned about my, my traits that I've now turned into strengths, now I get to show other people what their traits are and what they have potential 
to turn into strengths. And I have found the greatest work of my entire life. So it's my mission. It's my purpose. It's the reason I get out of bed in the morning. So Jeff, you mentioned, so one of my top traits is called strategic. I have it at number two. Just the fact that I have strategic at number two, does that necessarily mean that I'm good at strategy? No, you could be absolutely horrible at strategy because when you turn strategic upside down, you're suddenly looking at your greatest potential weaknesses. So while strategic can see big pictures and strategic can see down the road and strategic can come up with paths to get from A to Z, if your strategic is moving too fast, too furious, the pictures are too big, the words you're using are too complex, you can very, very quickly go to a place where you're beautiful, powerful, strategic has just become a liability, not only for you, but more importantly, for the people around you. So what does that look like? What does that look like when I lay out my big strategic plan that seems perfectly logical and makes complete sense to me, perhaps to people who may not be wired as strategically? Uh, It looks like a nightmare. So I I once went out and did what's called a 360 assessment on one of my clients. That means I went and talked to other people that she gave me permission to talk to. And I asked them questions about my client and how her behavior impacted them. And the one that stands out the most is a gentleman in New York City who asked me if I'd ever been on a New York subway. The answer is yes. Well, your client is like a bullet train. Okay, what does that mean? He said, well, it's like the subway train that comes through at 100 miles an hour and it never stops at the station, but everybody at the station is expected to somehow grab on while your client never slows down for them to, you know, to uh, open up a door and walk into the door of the subway. So when, when you look at those traits and what I'm hearing you saying is that it's not enough that you have them, you know, closer to the top or some things that you are naturally wired to do, but it's almost like a diamond in the rough. If you're not spending the time polishing it and mastering it, almost like, almost like a martial art, you can actually hurt yourself more than you actually help yourself or others, right? That is exactly right. And uh, some traits versus other traits, I look at them and I see more volatility in some traits, meaning the things you can be great at with that trait are out of this world the things that you could do to get yourself in trouble with that trade will take you into a bottomless pit with quicksand. Which kind of brings me to the next part of, so we talk about those traits at the top. What about the traits at the bottom? Out of the 34 traits, if I have something sitting at, let's say, 30, 
And, you know, this is something that I am required to do because that's my job or it's part of my work. What does that mean? Well, the traits near the bottom of your assessment uh, are not necessarily your weaknesses. And I, when I run into people who have taken the assessment, they, they kind of assume frequently that their strengths are at the top and their weaknesses are at the bottom. First of all, I would say that your potential strengths most definitely are sitting at the top. What sits at the bottom are traits that you can reach down and you can activate and you can deliver every so often from time to time. You should not expect to be excellent at delivering that trait. You might be average. And another factor is if you try to deliver from the bottom, you cannot sustain. And what I mean is, if I deliver from a trait that's near the top of my list, not only can I sustain, but I can deliver it day after day, hour after hour. If I completely drain it today, I just go to bed, I wake up tomorrow, my tank is full. That is not going to happen for the traits near the bottom of your list. Those are the traits that you should, number one, be aware of. Number two, you should probably stay away from and learn how to say no to. And number three, if you have the luxury of delegating that trait to someone else to do because they have it higher than you, delegate it as fast as you can. This is an excellent point because I think, you know, especially in the context of security teams, um, you know, we have a lot of people on our team and we have a lot of things that, you know, we need to do. And security is so broad and, and the things that you need to do within security, I mean, can vary greatly. So, for example, you know, some people are really good at reading policies and managing policies and, um, you know, reading regulations and, and working through those. Some people absolutely dread that. On the flip side, you know, there are some people like me, for example, who like to be in front of other people, who like to interact with other people, where others, again, dread that. But on the, hand, on the other hand, they like to sit in front of a computer, perhaps dig into a problem, you know, work on an incident, uh, dig into the incident, you know, do forensics, find all the little things about that incident, which again, may be completely difficult or even scary to, to some other people. So, it seems like there's a lot of value knowing your team's traits and how all your people are wired on your team, right? Oh, it's, it's my dream. While I'm still on this planet, I would absolutely love to see some people have the courage to build teams around people's natural giftedness. Uh, somewhere around 2005, give or take, Jim Collins and his team wrote the book, Good to Great. One of the, th the concepts in that book was get the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus. And the part that, that I get excited about is get the right people in the right seats on the bus. The book did not explain how to do that. I've spent the last 15 years figuring out exactly how to do that. And what it looks like is building a human jigsaw puzzle. 
So instead of just hiring for specific skills, hey, I needed to know networking, or I needed to know, you know, system administration, or pen testing, or whatever, actually looking at, I need somebody with great communication skills. I need somebody with, you know, the ability to go and investigate. So what is usually known as, quote unquote, soft skills, and we rarely see the, those in in, um, in job descriptions. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you. I've been dissecting job descriptions for years, and now I do it about once a week. I go pick a job, any job, off of the internet, and I dissect it, getting down to exactly what the marketplace is looking for. And I can't tell you that half of a job is this or that, or two-thirds of a job is this or that. It It's all over the map. It just depends. But when you look at a particular job and you dissect it, and that job is asking for, and I'm quoting, I'm not making this up, excellent verbal communication skills, excellent presentation skills, excellent analytical skills, superb collaboration skills. Those are all skills that that we can determine if somebody has if we just stop looking at all of their hard skills all by themselves. Which is super interesting. So if you look at those 34 trades and you consider and you think about, you know, where they are placed in the list, I assume each and every one of us is different. How different are we? Oh, I, I love that question. And I'm not the most uh, number crunching analytical guy in the world, but this just blew my mind. When somebody explained to me that when someone sits down and takes a Clifton Strengths Assessment, the odds of another person on this planet having the same top five traits in the same order is one in 33 million. Whoa, that blew my mind. In fact, that's why I chose this assessment in my business because I don't want to show someone what box or quadrant they fall into. I don't like that stuff. I want to show people how absolutely unique they are and how special that really is. In order to find someone on this planet who shares my top five or your top five in even a different order, it's one in 270,000. Now, when I share that with analytical people, they tend to light up. When I share that with people who are not analytical, they tend to light up too. That's extraordinary. It's extraordinary that we are all that uniquely different and we all have something that uniquely powerful that we can polish and fine tune and calibrate to bring to work with us, to take to school with us, to go home with us, to take to our kids. Uh, this is this is the most exciting work I've done in my entire life. This is great because I think you know one of the things that uh, you can think about. Yes, we are very unique. And yes, when we hire teams, you know, there's always this criticism about, well, you hire people like you, or you hire people that 
resembles you know what you already have on your team and there isn't much of a diversity of thoughts or skills when we talk about diversity inside a team just given these numbers alone just given you know how different the traits are yes we have other parts of, of diversity that we create and we need to have but in addition to that we already gain a lot of diversity in in the people's skills and how they're wired because almost no two not two people are alike well you you just opened up another topic that i'm not even going to repeat we'll cover it on a different podcast but the the notion that everybody thinks different than everybody else is one of the the probably the biggest ideas that I took away from my mentor that I worked with for a year. We all tend to think that everybody looks at something and sees it exactly the way we see it, and we could not be any further from the truth. That's a great point. So that brings us to the end of this show. Jeff, you introduced me to Clifton Strength, and I can personally attest this has been life-changing for me. My only regret is that I haven't done it 20 years ago. But I guess it's never too late to, to start. And uh, similarly to a martial art, this is a lifelong journey that you have to practice continuously. I feel it makes a big impact on who I am, what I am not, and provide me much greater clarity. And as you first challenged me uh, 11 years ago, it helps me get much better clarity about what I can do and more importantly, what I should do. So I want to thank you for that. So again, I want to thank you. I want to thank everyone who is listening to our podcast. Please continue to share your thoughts and comments with us. Uh, like it, share it with others, and help us grow and become better. See you next time.